I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Woff. The movie we've been building up to for the last month. Yeah. Right? We're here. We're finally here at the pinnacle of Dark Disney. We have something wicked this way comes. Yes. This was a Dark Disney movie for a lot of reasons. Like we've talked about almost every movie that we've, almost all four of the movies that we've covered, right? Have all had that. Yeah. That thing where they had a, a troubled time in production and, um, Maybe a troubled time in the storytelling and the receiving of it by the audience, right? Yes, all four of them. This one probably has the most troubled production out of the the four movies. Yes, almost certainly. This is only, so we did two animation and then two live action. Live action, we started off with was Return to Oz and that had reshoots. This one had considerable reshoots. Like considerable, like for six months. Like 70%. (laughs) Like 70% of this movie was reshot. And you can feel it. You can tell what was reshot. It's, and it's not so much you see it with the adults, but as you pointed out off mic, one of the kids, if not both the kids look like they're, they're, see, that's a tough thing when you're at that age, you know, six months is huge. You grow five inches, six inches, and suddenly you're like, <laughs> you know, you're towering over Jim Knight. <laughs> and next thing you know, they're digging holes for you to stand next to him. <laughs> right? They're Step in that hole that. so we can pretend you're yeah. shorter. Yes. There, there's a couple scenes where like he's down, like like the scene where he's like, don't ditch me. And like he's down on his knees for something. You're like, what is he doing? But maybe that's <laughs> because he was tall. Like he had outgrown Jim. Maybe. It was, yeah, the, the one thing is funny is, not, there are lots of little funny things about the movie. Um, but the jarring thing is right off the bat is starting off the movie with the, with the voiceover, like out of nowhere. Yeah. What did that remind you of? And I'm like, small town, random VO. Is this silver bullet? Well, the whole, like the, the canopy, the autumn foliage, uh, you know, and they're, the yeah. way they're rolling. I'm like, it literally the first thing I just went silver bullet. And then the, right out, right as I said, silver bullet the VO started and I was like, good <laughs> Lord, man, here we are. This movie's better than silver bullet though. It's this movie shot in Vermont and on the back lot of Disney. Now, if you've ever been to the back lot of Disney or seen any movies ever. Yes. You can tell very little of this movie was shot in Vermont because it's all back lot, like all back lot. Dude. All, I mean, all that reshoot, all that, that all that reshoot stuff must've just been done here in town. In LA, it had you know. it been done in Burbank. Yeah. yeah that's one of my feeling too. I think the only shots that we have that are probably still from Vermont when they're the little house in the prairie shot toward, toward, towards the end. Yes, totally. That <laughs> shot and then and then that opening shot with the VO. Right. <laughs> the shots of the carnival out in the open. That's probably it. Yeah. 
Because those are exteriors, man. You don't need to worry about those. Aren't, we don't need to reshoot that. Yeah, totally. Oh not gonna, that's not going to get any better. Um, let's, go, let's go ahead and lay out the, the what we got here. If you're not familiar with the movie, and, I, and at first I was going to speak out, leading to us recording this as, hey, this was a novel, and it was um, adapted by Ray Bradbury himself. So he, re, he did an adaptation of his own work. But it turns out, the novel is an adaptation of a script that he wrote in 1958 that was supposed to be Gene Kelly's directorial debut. Right. How wild. Like, were the, Can you imagine this? Come across that info. It's weird, right? It's kind of a. Do you think it would have been a musical? Uh, not unlike. Um, not unlike. <laughs> no, no. I'm saying like I could totally no, see this as a musical like Damn Yankees. I really felt like when I read that, I'm like, this really could have been an interesting twist on the whole thing. But who knows? He, I mean, he could have easily done something like that or something more music heavy. Cause there's moments in this when the carnival crew are coming through town. I mean, that's, I mean, that's primed to pull off some like damn Yankees or music man moments. Right. Absolutely. It, it felt like it could have gone that way, but a dark version of that. Right. Sure. It makes sense. Yeah. Ray Bradbury. That's so how I've always thought of him as a novelist. I've never thought of him as a, as a screenwriter, but we, discussing on the show before we get that once in a while, like with, with a uh, William Goldman and that and those types So who else did that for us? Uh, um, Elmore Leonard, Elmore Leonard um, Dutch. With, with stick. When you, when you get that rarity where you're getting back then it wasn't rare, but now it's far more rare to have a novelist do an adaptation of his own work. But maybe that then you kind of worked it into, into their contracts. Like, like, Hey, any, any derivatives of my novel have to be done by me for at least one pass. Because of that was a com- was fairly commonplace, I-, I was surprised to see the novelization go the other way. For Bradbury, I never would have thought of him as a screenwriter before a novelist. In this case, for this piece anyway, that was the case. But this thing had a long time coming. I mean, now, it, what's funny is like Bradbury had did something with uh, Jack Clayton, the director of this. I think they might have done something together for, I forgot, maybe like Moby Dick or something weird like that. But this thing was supposed to have been done with Jack Clayton at for Kirk Douglas for for Brian Productions, and that, that this is in 1977 now, as opposed to I mean, it's funny to go from 1958 writing something for Gene Kelly to, to direct. Fast forward to 1977, and now you want you want Kirk Douglas to play the Jason Robards part. Weird, right? It was like super bizarre, and there was times too where like Sam Peckinpah and Steven Spielberg were going to direct the movie. Dude, and, can you imagine the Peckinpah <laughs> version of this movie? And then, but think about that too. If this, it's seventy-seven Spielberg talking about doing it, man, that puts him right in the pocket of. We'd have no ET. We we have no close encounters. One of those would take the hit, sure, right? Right, right. You'd have, yeah. I mean, it, whether this came after, if this was his going to be his thing after, you know what? The only saving grace is if he had, maybe we wouldn't have had to sit through 1941. Eventually, this thing found its way to to Disney, and this has maybe been. This is probably the very beginning, right, of the dark Disney moments, not just uh, more specifically towards the the content I mean, that they're creating, the the, sure. the direction they want to take the the company. It's funny because if, if you read different things about it, it's like they're trying, they were trying to, and I guess as we can kind of, we'll probably reiterate some of this stuff when we do our wrap up over the month, but it, it feels like they were trying to shake a stigma of being family film studio and a stigma of being an animation studio. I'm like, right. why be a stigma? Those are classic things. Why would you, that's not, that's not a terrible thing to, to have. You still have that. You know, you can do other things. 
detone and different, you know, think pieces about where Disney was going and the choices they were making. I don't know. You and I discussed it enough this month to say we yeah. we appreciate all the efforts that were made that they that but we I never took it as that. I never it's all they're trying to break away from being the Mickey Mouse company. I'm like, really? Cause I still see your big ears on every one of your in front of every one of these movies. So it's not like you're trying to hide from it. Sure. I don't know. I think it's too much negative, too much negativity has been said about this time where they were trying to break away, not break away, but add to. Then that's the thing is the tone has always been, oh, the attitude anyway has been we're in the, we're taking away from what we used to do and we want to go this direction. Well, it really was, they were just adding to it because it didn't stop making animated movies. We covered two of them, right? Right. Well, one of them at that in this one, time one of them, one of them is a dark Disney movie. The other one, not so much. The other one was right. more of like, as we discovered. That, that, that was, <laughs> you're right. And this movie is chock full of of actors that you know that don't look a whole lot different, like Jason Robart. <laughs> Doesn't look a whole lot different between this and pretty much anything you've seen him in. Right. As you noted, he's fucking amazing in it, as always. Yeah. I mean, Price, like I said, I didn't rec- You know, it's funny because I'm not used to seeing Jonathan Price as a young man. Right. So, you know, seeing Price... And Price is great. Like, yeah. you know, he's just chewing the scenery. I mean, to me, it's funny. Like, you know, this movie has a lot to do. Like, kind of, I would say it has a lot in common with like some of the Harry Potter kind of vibe performance right. wise. You know, like I could see Jonathan Price being that character, Mr. Dark, being in a Harry Potter movie. Right. But like Diane Ladd shows up. Uh, as Nightshade's mom, as the Royal Dano, you know, who we, you and I probably, he's probably best known to most of our listeners as either the cowboy from House 2, the second story. Yes. <laughs> or perhaps as Ditto, the uh, teacher um, who dies at his desk as a heart attack um, in Teachers with Nick Nolte. But Royal Dano's in it. I mean, Vidal Peterson, I, Mork and Mindy, right? Is that what you, is that what we discovered watching it? Because I was like, because I kept thinking, why does he kind of look like a Culkin kid with glasses? And then you sent me that picture. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's because he's from Mork and Mindy. Yeah, yeah. There's a period of time where, where Mork has to go on trial and prove his worth to stay on Earth. And the kid plays the elder in a few episodes. Yeah. Because uh, he and he wears glasses in that too. That's why it was an easy sell for me. Am I going? Wait, the glasses are. Oh my gosh, that's. Wait, I'm pretty sure about this. And then yeah, I was right. Yeah, very strange. But you know, Dick Davlos shows up. But these are all actors. It's funny because a lot of these actors you're not used to seeing, and you know, in 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 the Disney catalog of stock company character, like you know, you and even in their live action movies, you see a lot of the same people, Dean Jones, etc. You know, but like here, you're seeing like. Dick Davlos, uh, Jack Dodson, who's, you know, probably best known as Howard Sprague on the Andy Griffith show. Although he was in right. a Peckinpah movie. He was in The Getaway. He's Sally Struthers' uh, poor uh, <laughs> dunce of a husband. Uh, and we get a very beautiful, very sexy Pam Greer shows up. Of course, she's awesome because she's always awesome. Yeah. It's, no, just this is a, such a mixed bag of a movie because, uh, you know, there's moments where it's legitimately... Kind of, it's this is like a David Lynch Disney movie, man. Right. It's definitely dark, dark as in troubled on the production end of it, but also the right. themes that, you know, it, it's just dark. I mean, and I feel like, I think maybe I said it to you before we jumped on is 
who exactly was the audience for this movie? Because it was a little bit before, yeah. like, I feel like a few years later, we got things like Young Sherlock Holmes, even Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. But, you know, think Goonies, things like that. But they were considerably, while they had their dark moments, they were considerably lighter. And, uh, you know, th- this movie is is pretty just dark. I mean, and I mean, this is like, it's the funny thing. Okay. It's like if David Lynch was to direct needful things, (laughs) right? Right. To me, this is a better movie than needful things, but it certainly Stephen King obviously maybe had read this (laughs) when he kind of penned needful things. I mean, if you, if, if, if you're being honest, right. I mean, it's very much like, very much like needful things. We just don't get as involved in the, um, you know, the, the, the townsfolk are getting through their dealing, right. Deal with the devil. For this movie coming out in 83, we figured they probably started shooting late 81, right? Yeah. And throughout 82. But just a couple of years before that, they did the watcher in the woods, which is such a, I used to mistake the two movies all the time because I had only seen each of them once. And cause, and they both have iconic, yeah. You know, you know, like legendary actors in it. Watcher in the Woods, of course, is Betty Davis. So it's like, and that didn't, they didn't fare well. It did, it had poor box office. So it's, I'm still curious as to why they chose to go forward with this movie that had so much trouble getting made. You know, I mean, come on, the idea of, of Gene Kelly directing a movie in 1958, that, that's a, that's a no brainer, right? It took forever for it to, I mean, it took 18 years to finally get into production somewhere else or at least get its legs going again. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird path to get, to get to this point. But it's funny because we, we kind of look at this as the kind of the beginning of that, but the dragon, you know, dragon slayer was a couple of years before that we mentioned trench coat. Yep. It's more in the foul play territory, but this is that time where they were trying to do so much, but all those other things we mentioned, like trench coat and Tron and condor man and dragon slayer, the black hole, the Devil and Max Devlin, they're all very different kind of movies. But I thought it was interesting now, how many, in this period of time, how many like borderline satanic devil shit had, did they do? A lot. Right? Like a lot. Yes. It's weird, right? Like, I don't know. And, it, and there was a lot of live action stuff between 80 and this point in 83. And they didn't really find a hit at all. I mean, Fox and the Hound did okay for him. And Dragon Slayer, I think Dragon Slayer did okay for him. But as far as like the satanic stuff, or I shouldn't say, I shouldn't like, I don't want to sound like, <laughs> I don't want to sound like Tipper Gore now. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons why maybe people were looking at it being a little more, a little, like they were trying to, to, to turn this giant pontoon boat and do something different and just change the direction of the company as a whole. Night Crossing, remember Night Crossing? Yeah. Night Crossing came out in 82. And that's another one that was, Night Crossing. It was like they were trying to get a family out of Germ- out of Germany. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 I remember this. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nineteen today because this is when the wall was still up. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. I remember this movie more than I remember any other stuff. And John Hurt was in that too, by the way. Hey. John Hurt making friends at Disney. <laughs> friends of Disney. One of the things that we mentioned already was the voiceover, and that was voiced over since we mentioned Sam Peckinpah earlier. Arthur Hill is the actor doing the VO at the beginning. And I thought that was kind of cool. And I recognized the voice right away. And I'm like, wait, I had to look it up because 
when it sometimes you hear a voice and you can't place the face and I, right. had to, I had to cheat it and look it up. But yeah, man, he's he's always been great. And he's in a, he he was in a ton of Michael Crichton stuff like Andromeda Strain, uh, Future World. But yeah, Peck and Paws the Killer Elite is the one thing that I always remember him from. But in he and his and his voiceover is great in this. It's so perfect. And again, they don't. <laughs> it's not like Silver Bullet where they they use it some random spots where you don't know what the hell's going on. He actually, at the very beginning when he's talking, he he's talking about things and you're seeing people on the screen as that kind of line up with what he's saying. So you're not confused as the characters that they're talking about, unlike Silver Bullet that does that. Right. As a whole, man, I find the story seems to be disjointed and something like we talked about the before, the, the, the those reshoots, they're kind of jarring when you see, when you can see differences in people's appearances. And the effects look different. I mean, when you get to that moment with the carousel and the closing part and when they're doing the Mr. Chris yeah. moment, by the way, how weird was that whole thing? Right. When he's in there, and he's like, when was the last time you saw a Disney movie where a man had his top on with women gyrating all over him? Right. Um, never <laughs> like, uh, how about never? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, again, this is a very, especially for Disney. I mean, it's a very, it's just a very strange movie, man. Like there, I mean, there's just, there's so many moments. There's like the weird moment, that moment, there's the moment where, um, there's things to let you know, you're, you're still watching a Disney movie. There's a lot of little like Easter eggs, like, you know, the, 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 the bright shiny red apple on the, on the bitchy teacher's desk, right. The first time we see yeah. her. And then later we see that same, you know, she's looking in the mirror, like sleeping beauty. It's, it's things like that. But the, the, mo the thing that made me laugh and, but it was also a weird moment is when, you know, nightshade and will go to uh, her house. Right. Because she's like, my nephew's arriving. I have to pick him up. And she's seen, you know, she's kind of punchy after she comes out of the house of mirrors right. and, and, and they show up and, and, and nightshade shakes the kid's hand. And was like, you shook his little devil hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I laugh, but I was like, Oh, well, fuck. I mean, that's pretty absurd. Both the kids are great in this movie. The two leads they're, they're really good. Yeah. I don't find them. You know, they're, they're not annoying kids. They don't do a lot of stupid shit that, you know, the relationship between Will and uh, his dad is very, it's, it's very interesting. Like when you, you're getting that, there's that bit of, there's something they don't talk about and, and, and they start, every time they start to touch on it, we kind of brush away from it, you know, like kind of like real life. Right. Yeah. My question, like, right. But like what I, what I said, what you said to you earlier is, are they all dead? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, right? I mean, are they? And it kind of it kind of leads me to think maybe not, but at least maybe in a state of I don't know. I think I think the, the yeah the thing they don't talk about. I'm assuming is what gets revealed when Robards is in the House of Mirrors, right? Yes, that is exactly it. So it's is here's the thing: is the the kid that's drowning, is that Will and he's trying to save him? Or is it a, a, a Will's brother that we don't know about? I don't know. It's weird. Right. Or my question for you is, there's that whole weird thing with Jonathan Price and he's like, my son, Nightshade and Dark. Da, da, da. Yeah. So is there something that got cut out of this? Like where Dark is Nightshade's father, maybe? Like, you know how the devil comes and he'll sire a child. I was right, just, right, right. It was confusing because yeah. it, it didn't go anywhere. That that whole part of it. I was like, what the fuck was that all about? And then we see at the right. end, right? Then, then Robards has to basically 
redeem himself by pulling Nightshade off of the carousel. Yeah. Very similar to the way that Nightshade's real father supposedly pulled Will out of the water. Right. But was that the devil? Was that dark? Who did I, I don't know. All that, dude, I was, there was, I, I was watching it and I was like, okay, where is, man, they're throwing a lot of fucking story in here. And then none of it went anywhere. I was like, oh, okay, well, let's wrap it up. And I really feel like, I really feel like the names of the characters were a little too heavy handed, like Mr. Dark and yeah. Nightshade. Mrs. Nightshade and Tom Fury as the lightning yeah. salesman. Lightning man. Right. Absolutely. It, I don't know. It just seemed to be a little bit much. I, I don't know what it's, I think it's, it's, it's difficult not to look at Jonathan Price and everything. By the way, do when, when Jim comes home and he sees his mom, Diane Ladd, like dancing with some rando. Yeah. It was just, I don't know what it was, but did you notice how he was holding her hand? He was holding her hand at the wrist while they were dancing. Yes. Like, like he couldn't touch her hands for some reason. Yeah. It was weird. Were, I mean, maybe this is, maybe it's a period thing that I'm just not familiar with, but I don't know. I mean, there was, was a, kind of bizarre. There was a whole, like I said, this is, there's a lot of David Lynch sort of vibe to this movie. And like yeah. Diane Ladd, dude, her character, she reminded me of the, her character from wild at heart, just 20 years or 10 years earlier before she totally fucking just became a nut. Right. I mean, cause she like that scene where Robards shows up and he's like, go home. This isn't your husband. Yeah. And she's like, but he said like, she looks like she's unraveling right in front of Robards very eye. Right. We're seeing her like, right. like she just, and then she just disappears and later on, you know, shows up and sends Harry Dean Stanton out to find her daughter. Cause she forgot she didn't have a daughter. She had a son. There's lots of actors in this that you see, and it seems oh. like they're at numerous places, right? This at the same time, like they're they're at the carnival and they're in town, and not just there, but they're also simultaneously inside this house. It was like it, it was hard to tell what was real and what wasn't, right? I mean, obviously that was intentional, but the story with the kids. By the way, there's something else. Feeling wise. We already talked about the a certain a certain moments where you feel like this isn't a Disney movie. I kind of think, you know what it felt like a lot, a lot of time, like especially the in the third act, it felt like Monster Squad. Now, obviously, this movie coming four years before that, you have to think there took little elements from that. Maybe is maybe it's the small town thing. Maybe it's the recognition that it's a back lot small town that I recognize in so many other things. Maybe that's why it seems feels familiar. You mean because it's out at the Golden Milk um, Ranch in Santa Clarita? Yeah, like that. <laughs> <laughs> Unimportant things like that. Uh, right. Look, I didn't watch the movie after 30 years until this morning. And I wanted to be as fresh in my head as possible. And I figured I wouldn't be leaning too much. I didn't want to be resting in my thoughts too much about it. Because then I find myself going, I don't remember this. I don't remember this. I don't remember this. But it's interesting that you talked about the relationship with Will and his dad, Charles, and Jason Robart. There's such a gap there. He doesn't, like, Robart doesn't treat him like a son, a father treats his son. He treats him like a grandfather. So the age thing keeps being sold as a grandfather, grandson kind of vibe, even though he calls him dad and he calls him son. Right. And which also starts making me play on to what your thought was earlier. Are they really dead? Is this, is Will really a ghost? Right. You know, is the whole town, is the whole town dead and Robard's still alive? And that's why he's an older version of. Right. You know, he stayed like he never left the town. 
Right, because when the when when Mister Dark's ripping pages out of the book, starting at age thirty, and he's like, when he gets to forty, yes. he's like, "You're old," and I'm like, "Wow, that motherfucker's at least twenty years older than forty. So even if you took him back to forty, he'd be good." <laughs> for for me, like when you look at it, like this is a a screenplay written by a, a, an accomplished novelist, uh, you know, like Bradbury, and his main character is the librarian. I gotta think, and it's the and it's that time of period where the librarian actually has yes, he has, you know, great works of literature up there, but he also houses the town's history in in right. uh, in book form. So that, that that's that moment too, like you're talking about, where Mister Dark is just pulling out pages, and part and and the more he does it, the more uh, the more Holloway becomes, the weaker he becomes. Right. And you know what? I really feel like maybe Mr. Dark is coming through town just to finally pick up the souls that he's left behind in the past. Who knows? I don't know. It's, 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 it's far less. Yeah. For it's just far less out front than the movie actually lends itself. Like you said, I think there's probably some stuff that were pulled from it. Maybe there was either elements that were too, um, too dense and they didn't have enough time to do reshoots or they're, I, I, it sounds to me like considering how many reshoots they did, that they didn't have the coverage they needed on top of needing to change some things. Right. Well, cause there's no, you know, there's that set where, where Robards first meets Mr. Dark outside of the tavern, right? We was smoking the cigar and we see the tattoos on, you know, of, of the boys on each one of his hands. And, and then, yeah. uh, he says, Oh, he's a man who's lived with other people's memories. And then Robards retort is, you know, you know, not only that, but you know, sometimes it's better to live in other men's memories than that, you know, so there's that whole thing, which made me think again, like, is he dead? Or somebody's, are, are all these people, is this all in Robards' head? And, you know, he can't right. forgive himself for this kid drowning, you know, and everybody else is just, you know, a piece of his imagination or their piece. Because, you know, as the souls sort of disappear, the carnival gets bigger, right? Like you see, do you right. see Mr. Barber Man? I forgot his name already. He becomes the bearded lady. You know, the the, the guy who is obsessed with money becomes, a, you know, he actually becomes the Indian in the carnival. You know, so... As, as these people are both, that's why when you said they're existing in multiple places, they are like, but everybody is, they do a lot of weird shit in this movie, like through mirrors and through windows and through glass, you know, all again, eyes, the windows of the soul. There's a shot on when they're looking at Robards and they're fucking right on his eyes. So I don't know, man. I mean, maybe I've just read too much into all this, but I was, but I, I was fascinated by it. <laughs> we we talked about this I think for all four of the movies, right? We feel like there's, there's, well, maybe not so much with Return to Oz because you're both pretty familiar with the source material, but this feels like there's stuff missing. And it's like the other three movies, it's making us want to go read the source material and the things that were before it and the things that are after right. it. But this is, at the four movies, this is the only one that's a standalone. This is the only one that doesn't have books surrounding it. Right. There's not a lead up and a, and a follow up. Right. I really, yeah, dude, I think we're onto something. This might, this is the Walt Disney version of the end where we're like, wait a second here. Yeah, is this is totally. really <laughs> like, and I didn't, it didn't, it didn't really feel that way until we started talking about it. Right. If you go down that road and you're looking at the movie, it's a whole different movie. And it's actually like, I, like I told you, I thought I liked it more than you did when we first started talking, but, 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 but as we started, as we've been talking about it now, it's like, it, it, it does have all those elements. Like maybe this is all in Robards, you know, cause Robards, 
the kid is narrating, right? We, you know, we think it's the kid. Uh, and he says, my father, you know, da, 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 da. but that doesn't mean that Robarge isn't laying in a bed somewhere <laughs> in a hospital and the kid is there. I, right. Whatever. I'm just saying, it, you know, it, it leads you, it, it, it could lead you that way for sure. Or maybe that is the situation. Maybe, maybe it it literally is Jason Robart saving his son. Yeah. Maybe he gave up his life to save his son. Maybe he's really dead now and this son grows up and. Right. Maybe. I don't know. It's, there's, it's definitely a lot deeper of a movie, a lot deeper of a story than the movie gives us. Yes. Yeah. That seems to be. <laughs> We seem to come across that a lot. Well, you know. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it happens when you see things that when you have more life experience, you know, 30, 35 <laughs> yeah, or closer to death. Th- right. Dude, the closer you get to the end, the more you know, things you interpret things different. You go back and look at things and it's like, you know, what do they call it? Revisionist history. Yeah. The other funny thing, not related to that, is when the, uh, the during the parade scene, right? With and you got all the little people and they're fucking playing the instrument. I laughed, dude, because two of those guys they look exactly like they do in Time Bandits. Yeah, <laughs> and I was kind of leading them to it when I said, "You see a you see a lot of people around town. You see them in town at the same same time they're still at the carnival." I said, "It's the same three little people I see over and over again." And then then I started seeing, then I started recognizing that wasn't. That was it wasn't just because they have a limitation of people that could have performed. It was more about the story they were trying to tell. Yeah. Because we were seeing that with, you know, I think you I think you see Price in two different spots as well as Pam Greer. You see Pam Greer the same simultaneously in like three or four places at once. Yes. Even in her, her natural form, she's still hot. Right. <laughs> so it's like whatever that thing was that they had on her face. Even even as the mist, the green mist floating across the fields, <laughs> she's hot. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you didn't think you were in a Disney movie, there you go. Right. Here, here's yeah, how you know. Live action. <laughs> here's how you know you're in a Disney movie. Hey, here comes that fog from uh, any... The, look, it reminded me of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, the, an, the animated Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> well, we talked about last week with the green mist, right? The green mist looks less animated in the animated movie than yeah. is the Black Cauldron than it yes. does in this. I think I think just because it looks out of place because of the color palette, probably. But. Right. No, no, it just it's very shocking when it does show up because it, it does look so. I mean, it looks like it's out of any of the Disney animated films, and then for it to show up that green, yeah, it's just you know, it was it's kind of like whoa, all right, well, that's weird. If I were to pair this with another movie, and I know I mentioned Watcher in the Woods earlier. I would actually pair this better with Lady in White. Oh, yeah. It's that kind of vibe that they're going for. You know, as we've been talking, man, I, I appreciate the movie a little bit more because I think just like with the end, I think we discovered that it's a little bit, there's probably a little bit more to it, even though the end, you know, our interpretation of the end changed, even though everything was right in front of us. This is missing stuff. This is missing. We're, we're, we're kind of, you know, what ifs. That does feel like it's missing. I don't need to, I don't need it all wrapped up in a bow. I mean, we're both grown ups enough to where we can. Sure. But this is like, this isn't some ambiguous ending to a movie like Inception where you're like, oh, you know, it's so I'll leave the ending open to interpretation. I'm like, no, dude, this is one of those ones where it's either, it's either yes or no. Yeah. It's either he's dead and the whole town's dead or they're not. <laughs> There's well, no interpretation here. I feel like, you know, they, I, I feel like if I was to go back and watch it again, 
I could make a better case for them all being dead. Uh, like there's the whole thing, like they keep talking about the storm and the coming storm and the lightning and how lightning this, you know, I feel like it's the groundwork's laid there, but they didn't lay enough of it to really sort of like, okay, that's what they're talking about. I think, but I, I think if you were to go back and look through it, you could probably make a strong case that, you know, that, uh, yeah, perhaps one, if not more than maybe all of them are dead, you know? And, and he's just sort of reliving it in his mind, you know, as, as before he cashes out, <laughs> you know, not unlike Jacob's Ladder. Right. Speaking of weird, you know, movies. Right. There's something else to be said, too, about the idea that Robarts is still alive and the town's been dead for 50 years. Sure. And now Mr. Dark's coming back in collecting the souls that he let, you know, that with Miss Foley. I'm like, maybe she sold her she sold her, you know, sold her soul years before that. Now dark, dark has just come in to collect his souls. Right. I, I don't know if I feel like maybe this, this town has been dead for a lot of years. Something else I was considering too. Have you noticed the very ambiguous time frame when this movie happens? Yeah. It's, there's no explanation of really what's going on. The only time you have really understanding, like you're kind of going, Oh really is when Will gets on the phone. I'm like, Oh, okay. So it's that kind of era. Right. You know, where that type of phone is being utilized. Now, I'm going to ask you this because I, I'm trying to have a hard time. I'm trying to remember. Do we ever see any cars in this movie? No. Are there any vehicles in this movie at all? The only thing we see is that steam powered train in the beginning. Sort of. Even the when the when the parade's coming through town, when they're out looking for the uh, when they're out looking for the two boys, there are no cars on the street. There's just people. No, no. One hundred percent. Yeah, it's weird, man. You don't even see any horses. Right. That's what I mean. It's like, it's a very odd, like everybody walks in this movie. They all walk to the carnival. <laughs> they all, even the, you know, like when, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a strange, it's a strange little movie, man. Uh, I'm not going to say I loved it. I did. Like I told you, I liked it. I tried to watch it 20 years ago. I, I rented it from Blockbuster and uh, don't think I actually got through it. Watching it this morning, I was like, okay, oh yeah, this is, and then I'm like, oh, okay. And then I'm starting to have to put pieces together. And then I'm like, oh, it's one of those movies where I, I'm going to have, I'm going to have several theories about this movie. And then I was started reading about the trouble production. Then it's like, now am I just making excuses and filling holes with my own imagination? Or is this what they were trying to do? They just didn't succeed because no matter how much reshoot you, you know, it depends, you know, how many fucking, you know, how many guys are steering this ship at this point? You, when you're looking at names that you recognize from, from film criticism land, like Gene, you know, like Gene Sisko and Roger Ebert. Ebert and, loves this movie. or love Ebert loves this movie. But what's funny is, listen to what Gene Sisko has to say. He gave it two out of four stars. And it says, but the script, this is a quote now, tries to cram too much material into one story and a climax that couldn't be more disappointing with neon special effects that overwhelmed the last half hour of the movie. Not wrong. Uh, the, the result is an oddball combination of a Twilight Zone episode with the climactic zapping the Nazi scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, all valid. The reason why I'm pointing this particular criticism out is we're talking about no vehicles, no cars, you know, no horses, no carriages, right? It feels like a Twilight Zone movie. Yes. It's not unusual to have Bray Bradbury stories that feel 
like that, that has that kind of vibe to it. Cause he's written quite a few books and short stories that, that feel that way. It's interesting for Gene Siskel not to like it for the exact reasons why it's actually pretty rad. <laughs> it does feel like Twilight Zone, but it doesn't feel like a knockoff of Twilight Zone. It, it feels comfort. It feels in its, in its element there. Yeah. Because here we are talking about it. We're talking about and asking more questions. And tell me a Twilight Zone was the best Twilight Zones are always leaving you asking questions. What would I do? Right. If that was me. Yes. You know, I mean, I think this movie is better than it gets credit for. I think so. It does a lot of things really well. And then it does some things that you're like, you're left scratching your head and, you know, you're open to your own interpretation. But for me, I'm always saying, I don't want to be spoon fed. I don't want to be spoon fed. I don't want to be spoon fed. I'm not an idiot. So, then you get something like this and you're like, wow, you're like left scratching your head, but I think it's okay. Right. To have right. to sort of like think about this. Otherwise it would just be you and I going, fuck, this is so stupid. What do they think? I'm an idiot. They have to spoon feed me everything. Right. <laughs> so I guess there's, it's, you know, it's the alt, it's the, it's the other end of the, of the uh, spectrum, right. Is like you get this kind of movie or you get that kind of movie very seldom anymore. Do you get anything in the middle? Right. Like maybe they were too far to the left or, you know, but it's better than being too far to the right. I, I don't know. But uh, it's a it's a it's a movie that makes you ask questions about what's going on. Yeah. It, and there was another criticism, too. This kind of lends to what we're talking about before, about there being some meat taken off the bone. There was somebody that said that the, you know, the novel's texture, this is again a quote from Tom Milne. The novel's texture has been thinned out so ruthlessly that little is left but the bare bones. And they all add up to shorn of the slightly self-conscious Falkarian poetics of Radbury's style. is a dismayingly schoolmarsh moral tale about fathers and sons, the vanity of illusions, and the homespun recipes of dealing with demons. Right. And as that one line, remember the line in the movie, happiness makes them run when he starts- Yes. When Will starts freaking the fuck out. <laughs> right. When, when Robard starts, yeah, he starts jumping, but dude, it's so weird because he's like, he, he doesn't seem like he's cheering, but he seems like he's screaming at the poor kid. Like he's going to make right. it even worse. Uh, yes. Right. But yes, that whole, they feed off of negative thoughts and laugh, be happy boy. And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is going on right here? I'm shitting my pants. Does that count? You know, it's weird for me. Like now that you, now we're talking about that, it makes me think that Will and Robards are the same character. Mm. And maybe the boy, his buddy, Nightshade, is represents the difference between life and death, between you being young and old, and maybe something what really happened was to the kid, and Will didn't save the kid. So now old Will, you know, Robards saves the kid off this, you know, he pulls him off the carousel, and it may, it's redeeming the him not pulling him out of the water. I don't know, man. I might just be talking on my ass, but like, that's the thought that just went through my head when you said that just now, uh, that about that whole sequence. Or Will is locked away somewhere and he's telling sure. the story that, hey, I wish I wish my dad saved me <laughs> or something. Or whatever. But this is, this is what has, this is the kind of thing that we talked about before of like going, yeah, we either do two things these days. We either praise the shit out of something or we find something not as great as we once thought it was. Right. Until like maybe like three, four months ago. But now I think we're finding ourselves watching certain movies and we're leaning into certain things that are finding us going, wow, maybe, maybe there's more to this movie. Maybe this is why the movie didn't grab 
onto an audience because it is missing key things to it. But for that person to flat out say and know enough about the about the novel version versus the screenplay version is that there's so much pulled out of it. But that's not uncommon. It's not uncommon when you have an adaptation. But then, but this is that weird thing we mentioned earlier. This thing started off as a script and it became a novel and it became a script. It was, it's, it's really weird. Right. On, on, on its, its journey getting to this point. And I'm not surprised that it's missing stuff. I wish we got some more information as to what happened, why Clayton was pulled off the movie, um, why they decided to do reshoots. Like a lot of these movies that we're, we're discovering um, that, that are lesser viewed by us, or it's been a long time since we've seen them. I mean, honestly, I don't think I've seen this since I saw this in the theater. So I think this is literally my only, my second time seeing the movie. I think we start noticing things that we didn't notice as a child, especially something we haven't seen a lot like this right. for me anyway. Me neither. Um, which is great. It's nice to be able to be, to go from being closer to the age of the two kids in this and being closer to the age that Robarts and now right. watching and kind of getting it. But I think there's something, again, just like with the other three movies, I'm going to reach out and pick up the book, man, because I want to read it now. Yeah. I want to I want to fill in the gaps. I want the grander story. And Bradbury's a, he's, he's amazing. He's always great. And I've read one book of his that doesn't, isn't killer. Yeah. No, no, I'm with you. So again, I think, I think that's what, that's what comes down to the whole dark Disney month is us going, I want to, I want to go back and read that book. I want to read those books. So anyway, there you go. This is this one's harder to get. And like we said before and recently that you can see two different versions on YouTube. Um, the DVD is not hard to get. You just got to be patient and wait for it. Yeah. Is it worth adding to your collection? Uh, yeah. If you're if you've been interested in, in 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 kind of revisiting something and maybe something that if you're already a reader too, that's another thing too. If you're already a reader, this is just going to want to make you read a story that you may not have read before. Yeah. Because I've never read something wicked. Right. So, I'm, but now it's made me really want to go, yeah, I want to get into that, which is what, what any movie should do. It should kind of inspire you to want to watch a movie again or want to be creative or anything that kind of leaves an impression on you like that is, is a plus. And this movie definitely left an impression on me. So that's, that's a massive plus to it. Is it as good as I remembered it? Man, what do you want, man? I was 14. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wasn't even 14 yet when it came I don't, out. I don't, I don't remember it as a thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I didn't remember all of this stuff. One of the things, the one sheet is fucking the best, one of the best posters in the fucking history of cinema. Oh, yeah. The, the, you know which one I'm talking about, where it's, where Dark, he's just got his hands out and, and they get this big centered glow of the carnival. That doesn't look like Jonathan Price. So when I see Jonathan Price, I'm like, oh, that's right. Because this image to me has more, I've seen this image more than I've seen the movie for the last 40 something years, right? I don't see anything different than this than this one sheet in my head when I think of the movie. Right. So I forget it's Jonathan Price because this dude, because who does this look like to you? Who does that look like to you, the, the, the guy that's on the one sheet? But it doesn't look like Jonathan Price at all. No, it doesn't look like the way that Mr. Dark looks in the movie. Not not one yeah. bit. But, but I got to say, the poster's amazing. Oh, yeah. Dude, I'd love to have this poster. But the Return to Oz and then this poster, the only two posters that really sell what you get. Right. You know, Black Cauldron and Sword in the Stone. You know, yeah, I sort of, kind of. But it's but Black Cauldron, man, it sells you a movie that you never get. It's, a, it's a, like you said, it looks like a video game, you know, cover you would have seen for your Commodore 64 back then. Yeah, absolutely. But this one is a good time. It's 
definitely a little a slice of Disney history. Um, like I said, it's harder to get, but it, is it worth adding to your library? Yeah, maybe, you know, but again, like we said, if you're a reader, it's going to encourage you to want to read and kind of delve into more. And you know what? I have a feeling like it happens a lot of times when we go back and read something to kind of, you know, fatten up the, you know, put some more meat on the bones of the story that were pulled off for the sake of making a movie. It makes me appreciate the movie more. Cause then you're like, cause then you're imagining, oh man, wouldn't it be cool if they put, had, had shot this and you had shot those moments and kind of filled it in. But you know what? Not every movie can be, you know, Snyder cut and be four hours. No. And somehow be in four by three. <laughs> God, it's so fucking stupid. So if you want to follow us on social media, I'm actually on Letterboxd at Corey underscore Culp. Or if you want to support the show on Patreon, thank you, Patreon supporters. That's patreon.com slash KITG podcast. If you'd like to follow Freddie, you can follow me at Tom Cody on Letterboxd. That's Tom Cody, not Cody Tom, Tom Cody, and not Led Zeppelin Coda, Tom Cody. Cody. <laughs>